We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of the Big Blue Banter Podcast. Here with myself and my co-host, Nick Turchin, here to break down some Giants game tape, here to break down some Giants news. It's a big, big day for Giants football. Obviously, after Saturday and Sunday's happenings, which was really incredible because, you know, in past years, we've seen the Giants really cut down that roster on Saturday, really before 1 p.m. Last year, I remember covering this team. And by 1 p.m., the roster was in for Ben McAdoo. On Saturday, before the 4 p.m. deadline, all the news had leaked, and it didn't change for the rest of the weekend. This year, it came down all at 4 p.m., and then it changed on Sunday with six moves, six claims off waivers, the most in the NFL, by Giants general manager Dave Gettleman. We're going to tackle all those today. First, I'm going to throw it to Nick. How are you doing today, Nick? Really good. Very uh, very fun, active day yesterday, for sure, like you said, and uh, didn't really see the six... <laughs> six editions coming we're to get to get to it all but wow a lot of news <laughs> yeah and it was a really intense day and, and for, for myself actually traveling back from a wedding in bumble you know what virginia <laughs> which by the way back-to-back wedding weekends not advised for anybody who enjoys their life but you know what sometimes you got to do what you got to do but anyway great wedding anyway great people great friends and i had a great time celebrating not trying to go that route because i did love Love the people, but all I'm saying is driving back and trying to work mobile office in the car. <laughs> all that giant news coming down was quite hectic. But, you know, the big news of the day, there was a lot of news, and we're going to touch on it all, but the big news of the day was the decision by the New York Giants to release Dave Sweat. And there were a little bit of hints if you if you read through into context and the nuggets dropped on Saturday where the Giants, you know, for starters, kept four quarterbacks on their roster through the first 4 p.m. deadline which really said a lot right there because 
You know the team was never going to enter the season with four quarterbacks. It was almost, therefore, guaranteeing one would be released or traded. There is a rumor, and a, uh, there's a rumor and something I read on Twitter from, I believe it was Pat Leonard, who said that the Giants did try to trade Davis Webb, almost uh, had a trade with the Oakland Raiders, who eventually traded for A.J. McCarron instead. Obviously, on Sunday, we found out the Giants were going to release Davis Webb. 2017 third-round pick. Obviously, you guys have heard a lot of my takes on this, uh, but I'll just give a quick wrap-up here before throwing it to Nick. For starters, I mean, you can look back on Twitter. You can search my name. I was not a fan of the pick last season when the Giants used their third-round pick. For multiple reasons, I wasn't a fan of Davis Webb as a prospect, but also I wasn't a fan of the decision-making. I don't believe that you should really be taking too many of these mid-round dart throws at quarterback. I think that that, that just the based on success rate, and you can look up the stats, I actually do not have them handy. I wish I did. Next podcast, I promise I'll come back with them. But the stats on quarterbacks drafted in the third round or later, uh, as far as success rate goes for winning, uh, making the playoffs, making the Pro Bowl, and making the Super Bowl are extremely low, under 5%, So if I remember correctly. So I didn't like it from the start for that reason. But, you know, why I think they released him yesterday has a lot to do with what me and Nick have talked about. And really, it all comes down to a trait that – you know, often gets overlooked, I believe, by fans, and that's just mental processing. And really, mental processing is one of the most important traits a quarterback can have. And you could see it. If you've listened to any of our podcasts, we could see it too. You know, Kyle Oletic and even Alex Canny, they both just worked through the play a lot quicker. They they're get rid of the football faster. They move through their reads faster. They're not slow at processing the play behind you know, after the snap. And really, if you watch Davis Webb, you see it. You still saw a lot of that this preseason, too much of it. Um, you know, he had his great game against the Detroit Lions. You can't take that away from him. Uh, you know, but a lot of those plays were really well blocked as we went over. The, the 27-yard pass to Shepard was well blocked. Uh, obviously, the, the big 40-yard completion of Russell Shepard uh, was, was really a great play by Davis Webb and showed off what his upside has. But again, if you're not working through, if you for the Giants, they had to make a projection here because again, don't have any regular season game tape to go with practices. You know they are what they are. You have the game tape there, but the the pass rush is not coming through. The pass rush is running through the backfield after they get through, so that's different. And the preseason, as we've talked about, defensive coordinators don't really game plan against the quarterbacks and against the opposing offenses. So there wasn't enough to work with. They had to make a projection. They felt comfortable that if Eli Manning got injured that they could turn to Alex Tanny for one year, 31-year-old, doesn't have much NFL experience, but he has been in multiple NFL film rooms and multiple NFL teams. And like I said, they like how he works through his reads faster than West. The same goes for Kyle Oletta, but at the same time, the Oletta decision was, decision basically came down to Oletta or Webb long-term. Giants don't expect either to play anytime soon. And I think in the end, they decided they have more trust that Oletta can develop into the quarterback that they believe is a right fit for Pat Shermer's scheme. And remember, as we said, Pat Davis Webb was drafted by Jerry Reese, Ben McAdoo, and um, and Mark Ross. And none of the three are with the organization still. Uh, so, Nick, that's kind of how I see it. I think in the end it came down to long-term projection and just they didn't really like how Webb was working, was processing the game from a mental standpoint. Yeah, those are all. Uh, that's a really good background for the whole situation, the way it unfolded. Unfolded, and it, you know, the only thing I would just add to that is maybe to kind of hone in on what the specific trade is. I would almost say it's almost more the ability to throw with anticipation. And what what's interesting, and this is where I my take from this was, um, although like you know, like Dan mentioned, we kind of 
saw this not coming by any stretch, I don't think, but but we saw in the weeds how he didn't set up for the best scheme fit for Shermer, like we talked about. Um, we did it. I think. I think. I certainly think Webb was a rising. His value was rising in the eyes of the NFL because of his work with Tony Racchiopi at the Test Center in the off season, and you could see his footwork greatly improve um, this throughout this preseason, not just year over year, going back to like the random tape from Cal. When I say random, meaning because it's over three years old. Um, you know, specifically, he showed good growth in the ability to get on schedule and to throw with anticipation, but it was imperfect. You know, there still were in the in the great Detroit game. He missed a lot of throws because of timing and not really recognizing the play in front of him. And then the other side of it, he he actually threw some great routes as well. And so I I see the growth there. And whenever you see that that ability to improve or that ability to change, the only I, the only part that I question is why do it now? And some people have made some why cut him now? I should say. So some people have made the great point that hey, if you cut him now, now you can devote more time to Laletta. And there's no divided practice time. There's no divided practice snaps for Alex Tanney. You know, the guys who you want in the game potentially are, you know, behind Eli or have more practice time. But the only thing I would just say is the Giants need draft picks. The Giants need, need the Giants need to help this turnaround by helping themselves. And the one thing I would just say is that where this is almost a little surprising for many is that why not try to market um, – uh, Web better by letting him play in the last preseason game. If you want to show off a guy's talent, why not like game game a little bit, game the system a little bit? And, and we saw Laletta make a bunch of down the field throws in the in the Jets game. Why not let Web <laughs> send it downfield and do what he does best, and then try to have basically try to shop him. Um, you know, my background as a former hedge fund trader that's that's like when you go to sell something, you don't just sell it for nothing. And that's just the thing that I've seen is that Gettleman wants to sell, wants to get things done, and that's kind of it. But in terms of maximizing value, I don't think they did that because I do think that that uh, the Webb's uh, he, he he was having he basically is a rising asset, and now it's kind of like nothing, and they don't have any picks for him. And what could they really get? A guy on Twitter asked me, you know, hey, what would you what would you want? And I said I didn't think they would get rid of him for anything less than a fourth round pick. Um, just because of just my kind, of, my kind of guesstimation, but I do see that value there. So anyway, I'm, Dan, I'm not sure if that makes any sense or if it's kind of, it's 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 not really a great point to make now because it's after the fact. But it's just kind of funny that this, like he he was improving, and to to do it now, I don't get the timing now. Yeah, I mean, it makes a lot of sense what you're saying, Nick. I'm not trying to completely defend the situation. You know, I've had my bonds with with Dave Gettleman, general manager style of managing for a long time. Obviously, I was very, very vocal about the team's what I still believe to be a very poor decision to pass on Sam Darnold or Josh Rosen for right. Saquon Barkley. And at the same time, you know, this is a general manager who admitted in his post-draft press con- uh, post-draft press conference that he tried to trade up in round t- uh, to get Will Hernandez. He almost traded back in the first round. He almost traded in back into the second round to secure Lorenzo Carter. And for that one, he took it really seriously. He called, he said he called multiple teams trying to trade it down and again if you look over time with a lot of studies that have done trading or i'm sorry trading up trading up is not a very valuable thing for general managers to do you want to keep these assets you want to keep these rookie contracts as many of them as you can get especially in the top 100 picks because they're under contracts four seasons at a very cheap price against the cap so you know again you bring up some really good points nick even though i believe that in the end, they decided Tanny over Webb because they trusted Tanny more in a game situation. And in the end, they might have not seen Webb to have a fourth-round value in a trade or even a seventh-round value. Right. Because 
because you know they didn't get anything for him. I believe that you're right. They could have potentially molded him into a player that could be traded. But again, Nick, it's not like they didn't try. I can guarantee you that before they traded Webb, they tried to call every single NFL team and look for a trade. That also is why he wasn't released on Saturday, and they kept four quarterbacks to start. Now, part of that is because Gettleman probably had a really good idea that he was going to put in some waiver claims based on the fact that he had the number two waiver priority, and he did. He put in six, like we said, for league high for waiver claims. And so for that reason, there was more of an advantage to keeping four quarterbacks because you could just, you know, because you knew you were going to change the roster anyway. But at the same time, I think they tried to trade Webb, and I don't think that any team was interested. Part of that is because of the quarterback situation around the NFL right now. A lot, a lot, you know, a lot of teams have young quarterbacks in, that have recently been drafted or added, so they might not want to take on somebody like Webb. But part of that is because, listen, the Giants had their own evaluation on Webb last year. Sure, some people on Twitter, you know, like to talk about the tools and, and said, you know, he might be a borderline first-round pick, but he kept falling and falling and falling. And finally, at the end of the third round, the Giants took him. But, you know, there's no, there's nothing to say that his fall wouldn't have continued if it weren't for the New York Giants who believed in him. And again, like I said, the old Giants regime, which has nothing to, which really has no ties to the current organization, as we saw yesterday after the final cuts and after that roster got <laughs> yeah. trimmed down. There's really not much left from the Jerry Reese era. And, they, you know, while I will agree with you 100% that Gettleman may have not gotten the most value out of this entire offseason as a whole, I'm just not sure that that factors into the Davis Webb situation because I think the given when they released him after a full day after, you know, almost 24 hours after the deadline, that leads me to believe they tried to trade him and that no one was really interested in While at the same time, like you said, you bring up a great point, Nick. I mean... If you keep him on the team, while that's taking away reps from Tanny and Letta and their development, at the same time, maybe it's building value. But the very worst, I agree, they should have played him for most of that, or for at least the first half of that fourth preseason game um, before, you know, to try to build up that trade value. But, you know, it is what it is at this point. They burned their third-round pick from last season, and hopefully they don't end up burning this fourth-round pick from this season in Kyle Letta because, like I said on Twitter yesterday, if you could get, do it all over for me, I'm taking Josh Rosen or sure DeSam Darnold, but for me, Josh Rosen. And then I'm taking Mark Walton, the Miami running back who's now in the Bengals, or John Kelly, who's looked phenomenal. John Kelly, somebody yeah. I talked about <laughs> as somebody who should have been a second or third round pick. I love John Kelly's tape at that time. He reminded me a lot of Kamara minus the deep speed, uh, but everything else he had. And again, that was another guy they could have had in round four to pair with Wayne Ball, who we already raved about, who we really liked. So it is what it is. We're happy. We have to move on from it, but. Agreed. It was kind of interesting that they got no value out of their 2017 third-round pick by releasing him. But to me, again, that's just to sell the market settled in. But let's let's move on to a different topic here, and probably their most, you know, their highest-profile waiver claim, and that's Mario Edwards, the 2015 number 34 overall early second-round draft pick, defensive end slash tackle, interior defensive lineman. However, you want to look at him. He's played a lot of different positions with the Raiders. Uh, here's a guy who who had his father played in the NFL, and yet there are some concerns about his motor that people, you know, what I've read, the concerns about him keeping his playing weight to where the, the coaches want it. And in the end, he was released by the Raiders. And to me, if you're going to claim any player from waivers, if you're going to claim a player from waivers from any team, I'm happy that it's the Raiders. The Raiders <laughs> are one of my top five teams I would want the Giants to claim a player from because I personally think that that franchise is headed in the absolute wrong direction with John Gruden. You know, you can go over five, six moves from the season that made no <laughs> sense. 
releasing Crabtree for Jordy, paying a third-round pick for Martavius Bryant, who was entering his contract season, which for starters was terrible. Then they released him because he's not, you know, he's he's somebody who, you know, obviously doesn't have much of a passion for the game, it appears. And then through all their decisions, trading for Mac, everything they've done really doesn't make much sense. <laughs> Drafting Colton Miller is another example, moving Donald Penn to right tackle. So now they release Edwards, um, and I think that this he could become a really big piece of the rotation. I think you could look at him potentially as in that five-technique position that we envisioned originally for R.J. McIntosh, who obviously hasn't seen the field yet much for the Giants and probably won't factor into their 2018 plans. So maybe now Edwards is the guy to spell Dalvin Tomlinson at that five technique right defensive end or three technique right defensive end position. Maybe plays five tech in some downs. Maybe even nose tackle honestly, because remember the Giants curiously got rid of Robert Thomas and Josh Banks and have no nose tackle. Ta- uh, at least it appears no traditional nose tackle behind Damon Harrison. So you've seen a little bit more of Edwards. Um, what do you what have you seen, and where do you think you might be able to fit in on the defense? Yeah, I think the. Uh... The versatility is the one angle that you bring up, which is super important for the entire roster. You, you see the you see a total theme there. Anyone who can play multiple positions, I think they like that just because Betcher gives so many different looks. And yeah, he spent uh, he's listed as a D, but as Dan said, he plays anywhere from zero tech over the nose all the way out to basically five and six tech. He played a fair amount of defensive end. I didn't get the total numbers of breakdowns, and I watched two games plus all the sacks and all his basically tackles. Um, what you see, good bull rush good ability kind of earlier in the game almost to uh to have he, he's got really good consistent get off the thing that dan brings up when when which is kind of interesting is 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 the motor factor as well as maybe he, he was penalized a lot and i didn't pull the statistics but he had like a false start penalty from the zero tech which is the which is the nose tackle position right over the ball it's kind of something you don't see that often uh that was in the new england game from last year and so so stuff like that you just see a little bit of kind of a mixed bag and the one thing that I really liked in terms of a fit, um, he had to play a lot of uh, consecutive snaps in uh, in Oakland last year. They didn't have a um, they didn't have like a very deep defensive line, and he was coming off of a crazy hip injury from 2016, right, where he played no games. And um, the one thing I just saw is people kind of question his motor. What I question is, hey, he's being asked to basically go all over the defensive line. Uh, and pass rush and obviously play run uh, at the same time and just it seemed like he needed kind of a blow at a lot of the uh, you know I needed a breather in a lot of the on a few parts of the game so I think he'll kind of benefit from the select usage in the um, in the Giants line because they're so deep as well too I kind of see him as someone of Kerry Winsides because he's about 280 pounds and he has had some issues kind of with that weight and being and kind of keeping that where where it is so he can be fast enough. But he wins in a lot of agility ways, side to side, side to side. He's got real good, um, real good speed almost, and the ability to kind of to to beat guards, especially um, with speed to the to the sideline or laterally, I should say. But I would see him as like a carry win on steroids almost because he has a better power rush, a better bull rush. And so, but I wouldn't put him at the Kareem Martin level where he can consistently play long and really kind of drive big tackles back to the quarterback. So he's right in between there, which is a good kind of spot for the Giants, I think, uh, for someone who even when Josh Morrow comes back in uh, in Week Five, um, I think that he can get some some good reps in as well and and win in a different way than Morrow, who's more of a bigger player, a little bit more stout, and almost you know kind of wins in in. Um, in more of a straight line way going to the quarterback. So I think it's a, I think it's a good pickup and um, something that is, uh, you know, although it's another defensive lineman because there's so many defensive line, and we've had a basically guys like Avery Moss got 
cut and then sign to the practice squad. So you, you're seeing that it's more depth to an area where they have a lot of depth. I think it's real important for them going forward. Yeah, I mean, honestly, Nick, I look into Edwards more and more, and I just don't understand why the Raiders release him. Like you said, this injury in 2016 seems to be playing uh, too big of a factor for them because you look at the uh, the pro football focus grades at least, and he's been really good against the run his entire career. His yeah. rookie season was his best season by far, where he was best against the run. He's a short tackler according to their grades. And obviously it fell off a little bit last season, and the Raiders asked them to do a lot, uh, you know, to, to rush the passer a lot on a lot fewer snaps uh, last season than they did during his rookie 2015 season, which was still his best season uh, by far. But he still ended up with four sacks scored in pro football focus uh, and a combination of just under 30 sacks, hits, and and, uh, and quarterback curries combined. But I think, you know, based on what I've seen, at least from the grades and little I've seen now from re-watching what I, what I can find of him, and I'm waiting to hear, obviously, more from you, I think the Giants got themselves a really good prospect here. This was also, remember, Edwards was rated the number one prospect in the entire nation out of high school and started that rookie season, or I'm sorry, that freshman season at Florida State replacing Tank Paradigm and was really was pretty damn good in his freshman year. He's USA Today Defense Player of the Year. His dad played in the NFL. I think that there has been a lot made, like you said, of this you know motor or whatnot, and obviously. You know, his conditioning desire were, were something that came up in his, in his draft, for, you know, during his pre-draft process. Um, but I'm not sure that that's, like you said, I'm not sure that's actually accurate to what, I think it's sometimes people get labeled with these narratives and they tend to stick with them, uh, whether right or wrong. So again, I'm definitely, because I know you haven't seen it much. A lot of people I've talked to have watched a lot of him so far, haven't seen it as well as much as people are making out to be. So I'm interested to see once you get a a further look on him if, the, if those narratives are even really you know if the if the motor and the lack of conditioning whatever desire narrative are even you know relative and and actually factual I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see that because i haven't seen it and i think he could be a really nice part of this rotation for the giants and he's certainly really cheap still on that rookie deal so i'm excited for edwards here uh moving on a little bit i want to talk about a few of the biggest roster surprises but first i want to fill out kind of some of the other moves that the Giants made um, from from the end of the day and to see if you kind of thought any of them were interesting, Nick. So one of the biggest moves aside from Edwards was the decision to get rid of punt returner Hunter Sharp. As I obviously talked about on the last podcast, I don't think you could trust him based on, you know, what he put together as a receiver this preseason. So, you know, and, and I don't think the guy they signed in his place is going to play much receiver, but I think they believe he could be a big, big, big time returner, um, and that's Kalen Clay, uh, most recently with the Bills. But obviously, the Giants got their got their first eye on him when he was with the Carolina Panthers, and Dave Gettleman was there. Have you seen? Do you have anything to add on Clay? Do you think that he'll probably seamlessly kind of work into that punt returner role? I think yeah, I haven't I haven't broke down the tape, but that's what that's what most of the reports basically say. And, and this this comes down to you hit the nail on the head with Gettleman's comfortability. Uh, uh, factor and and you know with Gettleman comes all of Gettleman's people and all their research that they've done from the scouting perspective. So I I get that side of it. The one thing that I will say is I gotta stick up for Raymond for Khalif Raymond. I mean I I think that although he's he's more of a gamble, I think that his upside from a wide receiver perspective, the traits that he showed there. I actually like him above both of those two players for what he showed this season, this preseason in camp. So not to go over in a full deep dive there, but that was my take was you know in terms of cutting sharp, taking 
uh, taking Clay, I actually liked Raymond better than all three. So um, you know, who knows where that'll go? And like you said, there are there are many special teamers on here that could jump into, <clears throat> excuse me, punt return and kick return role. So Clay will be there, obviously, but but there are other guys too. It's not like he's the end all. Um, so definitely roster flexibility there, and and overall an interesting move. Yeah, and then in addition to the in addition to Clay, uh, Giants also added. Three to well, they had set us a center Spencer Pulley, who actually started all 16 games for the Chargers last season. Didn't exactly grade out too well uh, according to Pro Football Focus, um, but I think that he could be a nice depth piece for them and somebody you know who can provide insurance now that they traded away Brett Jones uh, to create that cap space and get that seventh round pick back. And then they added three defensive backs who are relatively unknown for the most part. Um, Antonio Hamilton comes from the Oakland Raiders. Michael Jordan or Mike Jordan comes from the Browns. <laughs> and then Cameron Moore is actually the most interesting to me because he was a six round pick from this draft in twenty eighteen NFL draft. Um tried Saints tried to uh, convert him to safety, played cornerback in college. We'll see what the Giants uh, envision his role being. But I think it's really interesting because he was draft pick this year, so it means clearly and the Giants remember didn't have a sixth or seventh round draft pick in this draft class, so maybe they had a really high grade on him and just didn't have an opportunity to get him. Have you seen anything from them, or do you have anything to add on those three players that might be interesting? Really don't. I won't lie. I did not. Uh, I was spending so much time on the other guys as was coming through and some follow-up things. I didn't get to those guys yet. Um, the one thing, though, yeah, I think that Hamilton was a little interesting just because of his versatility at South Carolina State from what I read and another open Raider. Um, but besides that, no, not, not too much. Yeah, I mean, I'll say this because I've just looked briefly into how they – Looked uh, uh, how they grade out from Pro Football Focus. Michael Jordan's probably the one that would, or Mike Jordan's probably the one that would really interest me the most. Obviously, came into the NFL as an undrafted region with the Rams, but over his two seasons so far, he hasn't played that many snaps. He's been in coverage for 256 snaps in total, but he's had pretty solid grades from Pro Football Focus uh, in pass coverage. And last season, he really he only allowed 52.4 percent of targets to turn into receptions. He was targeted 21 times, allowed just 11 receptions. Um, had three pass breakups and the year before similar numbers and he had two pass breakups um, so really I think he could be someone interested in these all these guys kind of fit the same bill that that Giants have looked for uh, this offseason lengthy six foot one or six foot it's about 200 pounds one night between 190 200 pounds probably they're looking for guys who can play more press man obviously based mm-hmm. on James Betcher's scheme so we'll have to see what happens there. But I would say keep an eye on Michael Jordan because he's someone who – or Mike Jordan. I don't even know what he <laughs> Yeah, how do you say it? But he's someone that really has been pretty solid uh, so far. And then let's talk about some of the cuts because not just Webb. There was another surprising cut, at least to some people. Um, not necessarily myself because I actually wrote an article on Friday about 10 players I think would be surprise cuts. And seven of them I actually nailed. So kudos to me. Uh, just a quick, quick humble brag. But one of them was, uh, in addition to some of those we mentioned, was Gerald Adams, the tight end, who really, to me, got on my radar as a potential cut when I saw him playing in that fourth preseason game. Had a massive drop on third down. Has had mental errors in the past that have haunted him against the Lions, or I believe it was either the Lions or Jets. We saw Pat Shermer kind of ream him out on the sidelines, something we didn't really see from Shermer with any of the players this preseason, at least not publicly. Um, and, you know, Brett Ellison, actually, when I spoke with Brett Ellison earlier in training camp, he was really high on Adams. And Adams looked to make some plays at training camp, has that huge body where he should really be a good blocker. 
and he, and he has the speed. But I think for for Adams, what what happened in the end was that he just never could put it all together. He could never stop stop blowing the mental assignments that really draw the ire of the coaching staff. And in the past, with Jerry Reese as the general manager, he's willing to give him more of a leash because he drafted him. Uh, because he saw the upside, and Reese was a big, big believer in players with upside eventually realizing their potential. But the Giants decided, hey, it's the third year. He's still making all these mental errors. Um, remember, he was described as a really raw prospect at South Carolina. And I think they decided to just move on from him. And behind him, uh, it's, it's a little bit weak on that depth chart with just Scott Simonson uh, really behind them as the third tight end. And that that's something that worries me a little bit, Nick, because the Giants are playing so much 12 personnel this season. What do you think about that, Nick? Yeah, a couple of things. That's a uh, the Adams brings up a good point for what Shermer wants to do, and we know that he's going to play two to three tight ends, twelve really twelve personnel. That's that's something that we talked about a lot in terms of what he wants to do. Um, Adams is interesting. I think it really came down to his run blocking lack or lack of ability in the run blocking, specifically in duo. You saw in the preseason game um, a few times, duo is a gap blocking scheme of uh, running play where he has to black he has to block as a backside tight end. He has to block the basically a defensive end or an outside linebacker or even like a secondary member. And the the issue is, is or the problem is in duo, like the running backs often like to go um, cut it back and get outside. And that block failed there. And even when the running back stayed play side, he 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 he, uh, he lost some blocks there too. So saw the one-on-one battles really kind of lacking there. That was kind of an issue for me in the depth of the tight end position. I look at Shane Smith, the fullback, and I think that the Giants think that he's more versatile than people would realize. I'm not saying that he's going to play um, tight end in line down in a three-point stance on the line of scrimmage. Not saying that. But one thing that they did throw a lot out there in the last couple of games that I don't have the stats, but 21 personnel, which is two running backs, one tight end, with Smith as the other uh, as with, with Smith as the other running back, and where he often uh, moved, and, and Dan pointed this out before the last podcast when we were talking um, you know, he was kind of around the line of scrimmage in a wing position. And that, in a way, although it's not the same as an inline tight end, it can function the same in a lot of the blocking schemes. And Smith can show the versatility there to be able to go back deeper in the backfield and, and move up into the wing position. So I think it was a little bit of a can Smith play the position and be versatile versus the back end of the tight end depth chart. I think that's what it came down to for Adams. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And you look at that puts a lot more pressure on Smith, honestly, for the mm-hmm. season. And that's somebody I'm going to be keeping an eye on because after seeing what Kyle Shanahan's been able to do in San Francisco and Atlanta with the use of a fullback, and after seeing what Pat Shermer appears to be wanting to do with the usage of a fullback this preseason, I think that's a position where the Giants can actually take advantage of, you know, not many teams going after that position in the NFL and maybe looking to find some someone like a Kyle Jusek for the for the 49 like the 49ers did that can really help them uh you know in their offensive scheme and so i'm interested to see if smith can step into that role i'm not as sold as smith as maybe some others are um i haven't seen it yet translate to the nfl field but we'll see because that's a good point they trust him in, in some of those roles you know and, and we've seen in the preseason as he's been motioned down he hasn't only lined up a traditional fullback right then that means they don't need to keep a guy like adams on their roster um, and then moving on a little bit, I don't think any of the other releases were that surprising to me. Josh Banks, the mental lineman, I did say before I was a bit surprised they didn't keep any traditional nose tackle types behind Damon Harrison. Uh, but I was more surprised they released Robert Thomas, who to me looked to be having a reductive preseason. And, uh, and Damon Harrison actually got on Twitter yesterday yeah, and backed him up. <laughs> questioned, questioned that decision to release um, 
to release Robert Thomas. And we'll see what happens there. I do believe the Giants probably feel like they can rotate in B.J. Hill at that nose tackle when they need to. And, and other players uh, from the defensive line who they feel can maybe step in there on more obvious passing downs, and they probably won't spell Harrison too much on the early downs. And then William Gay is a guy who was burned all training camp. The practice I went to, he was getting torched. Every other practice I followed, he was also, you know, Sterling Shepard got the best of him over and over and over again. Sterling Shepard's a great player. We saw in the preseason, uh, in that third preseason game with the Jets, he's going to be a lot better than people think this year. Um, it seems like people are sleeping on him after he played through most of his entire sophomore season with a high ankle sprain, honestly. But at the same time, you know, there's obviously an alarming sign when Gay can't keep up with him in the slot, and it just kind of looked like he was washed to me this preseason and this training camp. So I'm not surprised by that decision. John Jerry's a guy I said you know, way earlier this offseason was almost a lock to get cut when he was practicing with the third-team offensive line. The Giants could save over a million by releasing him in cap space. That was... That was a lot to me. Uh, I was surprised he even made it through the first deadline. Um, and that's kind of it for what they did on Sunday uh, as far as swapping out six players they claimed on waivers for six players on their roster. But I wanted to talk also a little bit about some of the surprises from the initial 53-man uh, roster. And I think one of the biggest surprises is what the Giants did at the safety position, uh, releasing both Darian Thompson and Andrew Adams. Now, for Thompson, he was waived injured uh, so that hamstring injury must be a lot more severe than we initially thought. And he cleared waivers today. So obviously no teams were very interested in Darian Thompson, the former third-round pick. Potentially another misstep by Jerry Reese in the third round. We'll find out, I guess, because he will revert to the Giants' injured reserve um, for now. And maybe, just maybe, he might you know, help them out this season. I wouldn't totally rule it out if he's placed on IR because now the players placed on IR can return. Um, but Adams, the guy who started 12 games, during the 2016 season when Thompson got hurt, also released, and they decided to keep the undrafted rookie free agent Sean Chandler, who I was a big fan of because he stepped up really big uh, during the rookie minicamp. And during training camp, it didn't always translate to the preseason. But, Nick, you've taken a deeper look into Chandler. What do you see, and do you think he's someone who can contribute right away this season or down the line, or what do you see there? Yeah, definitely. Did a uh, did a pretty thorough breakdown on Chandler because um... – and this is no offense to him or to anyone who's written on him, but I had not seen anything on him until he was kept, and I didn't realize that. I really literally had no idea who he was, and I hadn't watched the twos um, and the threes in the defensive side of the ball that closely in the secondary. And the other side of this, too, is how annoying is this broadcast tape? Gotta say, like I'm so psyched for week one to get the All-22 because it's so hard to keep track of even secondary members and what everyone's doing just watching the whole play. Anyway, um... From my notes, from uh, he was a Temple tough owl, and I didn't realize all this. I didn't realize the background of Temple or what they are as a as a as a, a small kind of a smaller sized school. But all of the single digit players on their roster, the, those those digits come for those those numbers come from uh, the coaching staff for only their toughest players. And so he was played number three there, four year starter, five eleven. Yep, 5'11", 205, so pretty good size. Played corner, started out playing corner, I believe for two seasons at least, or maybe even three. I didn't watch any of his junior year tape. Um, watched mostly senior year tape. Uh, had So cornerback converted, converted to safety, so had that kind of versatility that we're talking about. Um, really good football intelligence. He was a leader on the team. 
He really kind of was a director of the secondary from that level. The football intelligence extended on down to a leadership position with other players. Specifically, they've got a really good safety there who we'll hear about next year and next year's draft, um, Randall, uh, who is a better strong safety. He rotated and was flexible both in high and low. So uh, he was very comfortable around line scrimmage, was pretty comfortable in space. Uh, in deep as the middle field safety. What I really liked was the hitting skills. He's the type of guy who when he uh, when he makes tackles, you hear the pads popping no matter what. They're not ginormous hits, but they're constant, consistent uh, pops. And just, just he's a football player. And uh, pretty good coverage instincts. Uh, mirrors larger plays well. Adequate to solid twitch. Solid click and close ability in zone. What we mean by that is as the ball is thrown, you can kind of react to it and jump on the wide receiver from there. Uh, so on the coverage side, he checked out. What Giants fans will like is on the tackling side, he takes aggressive angles and he likes to get downhill, but he can, he can from the middle field, he made some game-saving tackles that you saw specifically in the bowl game against the quarterback that they played. They had a bowl game against the FIU last year uh, that they destroyed FIU in, but he played very well. Um, so like that angle, uh, his, he struggles a touch with, uh, I would say, basically blitzing rush moves. He doesn't have that. People are immediately going to kind of ask, you know, can he be like the unknown Matthew on the re- on the on the roster from that from that safety position from down around line of scrimmage? I don't think his his blitzing rushing moves are there yet. I think his overall athletic ability is a touch low. Obviously, you know, playing with uh, with minimal kind of. Um, level of competition the conference Temple was in as well too his bla- he does not have blazing speed he ran like a four, six, four a high four fives I want to say uh, so overall you see that if a guy's going to run a go route on him he's not going to necessarily be able to go to lock step for step um, even from the safety position so what he relies on is, is pretty good ball skills uh, to, to basically win at the point of attack. He's not a guy who's going to put, he's not basically not to bring up an eagle, but he's not Ronald Darby there with the ability to recover from anywhere. If he gets beat, it's going to be kind of tough. Uh, but I project him to be a, um, I think he can, I think he can be a backup, a very, very solid backup. And I think what they like, and this gets into Adams a touch. Um, with Adams, he was a guy, with Andrew Adams, safety for, for a few years here with the, with the Giants, you saw mental mistakes that were made that he kind of kept on making in different forms over the course of this preseason specifically. You can look at the David Njoku touchdown um, against the Browns. There were multiple examples, the big play, the the crazy Etling touchdown on the other night um, where he's kind of making mental mistakes and not – and basically – Continually, kind of making similar mental mistakes versus a guy like this Chandler, who's a lot more raw, is a lot more untested, basically and unknown. Both are undrafted, uh, but I think the ability to mold a player like Chandler, who already has a lot of the, I want to say, kind of more violent ability to get downhill and the better tackling ability, coupled with good coverage skills, those two traits. Although he's probably maybe not as accomplished as Adams, and either he's definitely you know he has. Both he has a better starting point to, as a younger player to be able to mold as a as a rookie, and I think they like that. And I think they like too. Just to add in a little part of his anecdote, this is a guy who uh, he grew up in Camden, New Jersey, and he actually was in six homeless shelters as a as a kid growing up. So one of those guys that just has you know his competitive toughness and his 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 kind of will to to survive is very very high, and someone who the Giants really liked. Yeah, I mean, I think you bring up a great point there too with the mental errors that that we've seen some of the Giants' safeties because that's not. You know, that's some. That's one of the little things that sometimes might go get overlooked, but play a big role in the mind of coaches. And what I really like the most about Chandler, and this was definitely a player who I was excited about when they signed after the draft, um, is the fact that he finished last season 
with the second best tackling efficiency of any safety according to pro football focus and for me and what really is interesting about that is the fact that the Giants really struggled with tackling at that third level from the safeties and fence backs last season uh, with Andrew Adams, with Darian Thompson, with Dominic rogers Marty, And that's something they, they wanted to. It's something they needed to fix in James Betcher's so scheme because it puts a lot more pressure on that third level to make those open field tackles to prevent big plays. And that was what I really thought always could be the defining factor for Chandler in his quest to make this roster. But what really interests me is that the Giants didn't keep William Gay. They released him. They kept Michael Thomas as the, as the fourth of the four safeties, if you include Chandler um, as one of the four, obviously. And Michael Thomas is not going to play that deep safety role, most right. likely. He is going. So that just shows they have confidence in Chandler as that only is the only other potential deep safety, really, besides Collins will play a little bit, but mostly be used to move around the formation, and Curtis Riley, who's but been unknown. So they really like Chandler's ability, I think, in the open field to make those tackles. And he actually did run a 4.65 40-yard game. Got it. <laughs> which is not great, but I don't believe – I think that's the most overrated uh, – thing that gets tossed around when evaluating football players the four-year dash personally yeah makes a big difference for some guys chris johnson obviously used that to advantage the running back of the titans obviously drafted the titans and played a bunch of places to have a long nfl career but you know it doesn't always make that much of a difference to me i i, I especially i i think the position you could win in other ways is eric like what is eric weddle running these days do you think because he's one of the best safeties in the nfl i highly doubt he's running too much faster than like a four or five five right now i mean i could be wrong but you know so Chandler's also also three-time All-AAC conference selection, finished with 10, 10 interceptions in his career, seventh most in Temple history, started as a true freshman. Uh, and like you said, very humble beginnings. Homeless shelters his whole life, at 14 years old. Um, he, you know, he had to be the man of the house, basically, because his mom was working so many jobs, and he was finding ways by babysitting and doing other things to bring home food for his family, for his sister. So... Chandler is a really good story. He's a really hard worker and has some of the skills that really could translate to being an NFL player. It's not just a great story there. So definitely excited about that decision to keep him on the roster. Um, another big decision was to get rid of Nick Beckton, a guy who, you, who had really good grades from Pro Football Focus this preseason, much better than Chad Wheeler's. And you actually did, took a chance, you know, took the time to look into his tape, and you liked what you saw from Beckton too. Are you a bit surprised they kept Chad Wheeler over him? Uh, it gets into. <laughs> I did it. I charted what Dan's referring to is I charted every one of uh, Becton's snaps through the first half of. Oh my God. It's the. Is it the New England game? It's. Dude, there's been so many games I actually forget. It was the New England game. Um, I liked some things. I didn't like other things. And to basically get through it, his balance through contact, he fell down six times in. I think I saw like a high, like 29 snaps or 28 snaps from him. So, to be honest, I, I there was there was some things that I liked. I saw the high grades from Pro Football Focus and Pass Pro. Pass Pro was definitely his strength. Run blocking was definitely his issue, and the issue was wide ranging in combo in, in run blocking for both balance through contact through combo blocks. Uh, he did not have a lot of finish, and his ability to anchor even in Pass Pro, which is his highest grade, I thought was pretty minimal. Um, and uh, so in terms of him versus Wheeler, Wheeler is a player who it's he's kind of a mixed bag. He'll, he'll flash at times. He has some of the best get-off I've seen in this entire Giants camp is online, meaning at the snap he's consistently – uh, almost to the point where it looks like he's false starting a lot. Uh, he's just he, he he's got good initial quickness, 
but he finds ways to lose within that quickness. And to be honest, I, I don't really trust either of them to be a, a legitimate swing tackle. I think Wheeler probably has a little bit more potential upside going forward if you really wanted to, or not if you really want to, but as he works through as a developmental player. Uh, so I definitely think that it's, it's, it's something where the Giants are going to address in in kind of the next couple of days as a backup like we're talking about backup swing tackle to the two or maybe even someone to challenge the right tackle starting position that that they did not move on waivers and so uh, although i i hear what people were saying with where becton had graded well i didn't really totally agree with the grades or think they were as good as specifically in the run game and then on wheeler's side i just don't think he's 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 going to be it for the swing tackle position i think there's more to come here yeah i do too and i'm Somewhat surprised they didn't claim anyone uh, at offensive tackle on waivers, but at the same time, I'm not really that surprised. I've said this multiple times when fans have talked to me on Twitter or, you know, via the Giants on 24-7 Sports Facebook page, and it's just a shortage. I've said this before, I'll say it again. There's a shortage of offensive tackle around the NFL. You know, they claimed Victor Salak off waivers earlier this offseason from the Browns. He's not. He's on the practice squad now. The Giants signed him there. They're going to try to mold him. But, I mean, that's not... There's no real long-term upside there. Chad Wheeler may be the best they have, I hate to say it. You're right. At the swing tackle position, there's just not much to work with. If teams have offensive tackles, they're not getting rid of them because they need to understand that any injury, they're going to need them too. Um, so I think that's actually a position the Giants are going to look as like a part two of their of their rebuilding plan. They weren't going to get everything done in one offseason after Jerry Reese. So I think next draft, uh, you know, will be where Gettleman finds his Taylor Moden, who the Car- uh, I mean, who the Carolina we found with the Panthers. And I believe the second or third round of that draft class. Um, and now he's going to be starting at left tackle for the Panthers over Matt Khalil, who's injured. But he's also just better at this point of his career than Matt Khalil. Moden's guy that's really impressed this preseason for the Panthers. I thought I was really high in him in the draft. It looks like Gettleman found another great one there at Carolina. But, again, we're going to have to wait for you know Gettleman to have a couple years here and, and draft some more offensive alignment because the, it's not as easy to find these guys on the free agent market. You know, even Patrick Omehemet, who they signed to a three-year – uh, $15 million deal um, is somebody who the jury is still out on. And I know you, you actually broke down Omeme in, in detail. So, do you, do you, you know, can you <laughs> qualm the concerns of the Giants fans on him? Do you think that he could potentially be a lot better than people think? Yeah, I think that um, we, this started at the end of the last podcast when I when we brought him up there and I initially kind of did a little bit of a deep dive and then went a lot further and wrote a kind of a larger piece on him. And, yeah, no, I think it, it comes down to where you see – to what value you assign to him. Um, I project him to be basically like a solid right guard. And what solid means, and many people ask this on Twitter, like, you know, what does that mean? Solid doesn't seem good enough. Solid means that, from a definition I was using, that he should should win versus 50 to 60% of the competition he faces that are of the same talent level he is. So what that means is against the majority of of three techs and and two techs uh, in terms of defensive tackles, he's going to win the majority battles. When he faces guys, when he faces guys like David Irving or you know guys with speed at the three tech position with real good get off, yeah, I think they're going to need to to do some things along the offensive line to help him. Um, but overall, I think his I think the narrative still is very wrong there towards him, and guys don't really want to don't really want to either correct it or really look at it in terms of the tape. And we'll see with with, with more tape as it goes along for the first three or four weeks here. Um, I don't see it as being the biggest problem on their line. Um, and I think it's something where, as an internal blocker, an interior blocker, I should say, I think that they can find easier ways to help them with slides and all different types of protection schemes versus, and not to single Flowers out because he had a very good preseason, I think, um, 
but but we're a guy like Eric Flowers who against some matchups it's going to be very hard it's going to be easier for teams to attack him on the edge than it's going to be to attack Omeme on the at right guard yeah and that'll be interesting to watch as we go obviously later this week we're going to dive into uh, a preview of this Jaguars Giants game from a matchup standpoint which I'm excited to get into because that's pretty much my favorite thing to do break down the matchups <laughs> obviously if you guys have followed my work on Pro Football Focus a lot of my columns during the season focus on the wide receiver and cornerback matchups across the board um, and also the tight end uh, slot matchups versus the linebackers. So we'll be looking into all that and a lot more this week. But, you know, Nick, was there anything else you wanted to touch on just from the roster, the final roster that maybe surprised you or just anything else you wanted to dive into real quick? No, I think we uh, I think we hit it all. I think I think it's it's crazy that the first week is here, right? It's like like you said. Now now it's all now eyes are all on Jacksonville and and providing breakdowns and everything there. But it's just crazy that that it's almost like they should do two rounds of cuts. I think I don't know mentally for me. I think it's hard to now assemble the team where you kind of don't have a backup swing tackle and all that. And we'll see how it goes for the next for the next two weeks as they as they firm up the the starting lineup basically through two games. But um, no, psyched to get it going and, and nothing else to add. Yeah, and I would say this for those fans who are a little bit worried maybe about the backup swing tackle, the cornerback situation. Dave Gutterman after the draft said Rome wasn't built in one right. day. He meant it. I mean, this has been he's been really tweaking this roster nonstop since he got in and got accepted to this job. So I think they're going to keep looking for solutions there as they open up, and they're going to keep finding stuff to go there. So I think that'll be interesting. But like Nick said, I'm just happy to finally get back into actual NFL game action, that actual – NFL game tape to look at, some stats, some trends, some matchups. It's all the stuff that I love. So hopefully you guys enjoyed the roster breakdown uh, today. And check back in with us later this week uh, as we break down the Giants-Jacksonville-Jaguars matchup. And as always, guys, if you did enjoy the show, guys and girls, please do us a favor and subscribe. Hit that subscribe button on iTunes. Download, rate, and review us. Give us all we can get on iTunes because that's going to help us build this product out. And get a lot more of these going in the future. And on that note, as I always like to end this one, this podcast, with Giants. I was trying.